Good morning and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. Hi, everyone. I'm Simone Shkuri, president of Ariel Property Advisors. And today, I'm so happy to have with me Remy Raisner of the Raisner Property Group, who's been an investor and a client for the past 11 years, buying 26 properties, specifically in Brooklyn and specifically in Bushwick. Remy, thank you so much for joining us here at Coffee and Capra's podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, Remy, before we even start talking about real estate, I know that you starting in the real estate industry about 11 years ago, or at least in New York City. How did you start off in this industry? How did you start off in Brooklyn? What made you go into Bushwick and into Brooklyn? And what hurdles did you have to overcome? when you started investing here in real estate? Well, listen, it's a pretty long story that I'm going to be making short, but in a nutshell, there was an opportunity. I fell into it. Grew up in Paris, France. I came to the U.S. I was actually a basketball player. I came here on a scholarship. I was 19, and I went to undergrad here, and then I worked a bit on Wall Street. So, you know, I was an equities trader. It was great, but I, I wanted to do something a little different, more analytical in some sense. So I went to business school, and, and I was lucky enough to finish business school in 2008 here at Columbia. So, you know, beginning of 2008, I had a job offer and I had a, a visa, which I also needed to, to, to work and stay in the country. In the middle of 2008, I had none of these two essential things to my life. So, uh, you know, it, it, it was really bad. The, the job market was really bad. And you know, basically, you're calling people and asking for, you know, informational interviews or openings at their company. You, you, you just felt like they made you feel like you weren't reading the paper and doing your homework every day. So, you know, the, there was really little opportunity in the job market. I just decided to eventually start a company. I always wanted to do that. And then I always kind of had this in my blood. And, you know, I incorporated a company that allowed me to have a visa at the time. And little by little, I, I, I had an idea about real estate. I, I liked it. Didn't know anything about it. But step by step, I got connected to somebody through a friend that was actually working for the strike team of the FDIC. So he was an independent contractor and he was charged of uh, going on a Friday evening into banks that were failing in 2008 and liquidating their balance sheet, taking inventory and, and then selling off the loans. And by Monday morning, everybody was, you know, the doors were closed and, and, and things were being uh, sold, loans were being sold at a discount to investors. So I started becoming familiar with the non-performing note business and eventually, I was able to buy a few loans through uh, Chase, which were part of the, the Washington Mutual balance sheet that, you know, they had gone under at the time and they had been taken over by Chase. They were selling them by batches every quarter and pretty much all online with a, with a five-day closing. And, uh, and I, I was able to purchase a, a few small ones with investors. That took me a long time. You know, it took me about a year to, to pull this through. It was a long year, but eventually I, I became a, a note holder and I was able to restructure the properties. And, and, and these properties were located in Bushwick in Brooklyn, which at the time was just basically a dangerous place and kind of, you know, somewhere you'd, you'd never go to. And, and, and it still had potential. And, and I could see, you know, being underground, I could see some changes slowly, some artists taking, taking shops and setting up shops and, and, and I decided to take a bet and, uh, you know, go along for the ride. And, and, and after that, you know, we just decided to focus on that area, uh, the one next door, Bed-Stuy and Prospect Lefferts Garden, which is south of this. And, and that's 
we've been buying properties over there for the last 11 years. So it's been the core business. And uh, I tried to make the answer short, but it, it, I couldn't. <laughs> no, that's really great. I remember these days when Chase was selling the WAMU notes. And, you know, we, you've done pretty well. You've bought 26 properties, I believe, over the past 11 or so years. And what's really interesting is that your background is from overseas. And mine as well. I grew up in Israel, as you probably know. And one of the interesting things is that when you live outside of the U.S. or outside of New York City, you always, at least for me, you always look at New York City as the major city in the world when it comes to real estate. When you come here, you think everything looks so great. And that brings me to the phenomenon that we're seeing, which is international capital that is knocking on our doors today to understand what's happening in the city. And that's something that's happening in every single crisis. We've seen it time and time again. I'm not saying that that international equity is going to always invest. It usually sits on the sidelines, learns the market, and then jumps in. And that's one of the questions I have for you, Remy. Do you see international capital coming in? How are the equity providers today reacting to what we're seeing in the market? specifically the multifamily market, and do they see this as an opportunity? You have a fantastic platform, so I'm sure that they're talking to you you regularly about the opportunities to invest here. Well, listen, we're we're definitely in conversations all the time, just uh, as per the nature of the business. And and I got to say that, you know, even though I'm I'm, I'm foreign born, I've been here for for long enough, and I'm I'm lucky enough to have a lot of uh, domestic investors at this stage. So so that's a good group of my... uh, capital providers, and then some other investors in Europe and also in the Middle East, in Israel, uh, which is a great country to do business with. I can tell you, in my sense today, it seems that uh, foreign capital is perhaps even more eager to, to go after opportunities than uh, in New York City than, than local capital, maybe because what's been going on on the ground in New York City has made people uh, leave. And right now, they're, 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 they don't want to come back to visit properties or whatnot, perhaps because it might still be perceived if you haven't been in the city, which is now you know the lowest COVID rate in the country or major city. It, it hasn't been perceived as safe to some degree, maybe, and, and foreign investors don't have this perception and have other motivations. So I would say today they're a little bit more aggressive looking at New York City, even though I sort of feel like everybody's looking back. But people are ready to take a, a shot on the bounce back of New York, which uh, I'm definitely ready to take. Sure. And, you know, it's so interesting because we're talking about investments here. And one of the industries that grew into real estate is technology. We've seen tech companies going after real estate. We actually, as a company, leverage Salesforce.com, which is one of the larger CRM companies, publicly traded company. We we're leveraging it out internally, doing a tremendous amount of cooperation internally with it. And I know that you actually have your eye on some real estate tech companies that you've invested with. Tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. It's it's maybe just 1% of our activity, but we definitely want to be at the forefront of the business in the sense that, you know, if, if there's a way to better manage buildings or, you know, we, we would look into it, there's a way to to help a company that has a, a business plan that makes sense for the industry, that needs our network to potentially grow or maybe our assets to, to have a contract that they can show to a larger stage, later stage venture capitalist, we want to get involved in. And being in New York City, you know, the, the story here for the last 10 years has been so uh, so interesting and successful. It's, it's something we've definitely wanted to be involved with. So we have a small venture capital fund 
really very small and, and, and it makes very early stage investments or angel round investments. And we've done, uh, we've taken small stakes in uh, a company named Enertive, for example, which make basically software and hardware for building systems to operate more efficiently and also to better monitor the billing. So let's say you have a boiler uh, for a large building on Park Avenue, you use that system, it helps you see through your consumption of energy better. It helps you uh, lower the bills because you can fine tune the usage to the hours where, when, when the usage is most needed. Uh, we've also made an investment in a company called The Guarantor, which was started by a friend of mine actually. And it's a little bit like Jetty or Rhino. They have a bond system to provide basically a lease guarantee for residential um, leases to people that might not have a guarantor on the ground or credit score. So let's say international students or people of that nature. So we like these companies. We've made investments in a few others. We help them grow and, and we use them, not always, but oftentimes in, in our properties where that makes sense. So, you know, I, I think that's something that being located in New York City with everything that's been going on and, and here being the capital of the world, uh, it also became the, the prop tech, the rest of the tech capital of the world at the same time because of the convergence of these factors. So I think the industry will go more and more the tech route, whether for capital raising or managing buildings or whatnot. So we want to be... a I'm 38 and I always like tech, so I really want to be at the forefront of this and uh, hopefully drive some positive changes to the business. That's great. And, you know, it's like leveraging your understanding of operating real estate in New York City and investing in the future. I think that's a fantastic way to synergize and leverage. And going back to the bricks, going back to the past 14 months, specifically for the multifamily market, it has been a rough ride for the rent-stabilized multifamily asset as the Housing Act passed in June of 2019, changing people's thoughts about turnover for rent-stabilized units and how the business is done. And I know that, Remy, you and your group has continued to invest over the past 14, 18 months. And I wanted to ask you, and, and this is going to be pretty much my closing question, are you seeing yourself continuing with multifamily in New York City? And do you see real opportunity here moving forward? Well, listen, I, I always see opportunity in New York City. First of all, it's so big. There always, there's always opportunities. It's 9 million people. The whole area is 26 million. It's, it's bigger than the size of Australia, the population of Australia, when you look at it. So it's just uh, by the nature and the size of the market, the opportunities are pretty much endless, at least in my opinion. Now, we bought rent-stabilized properties maybe up until, call it, 2014. So, you know, back then, you know, the play was to, to, to buy rent-stabilized properties, improve them, improve the rent roll and whatnot, and, and then just either sell them or refinance them and whatnot. And then it just, you know, it just became a little political and then much more political up until the combination of the, the rent loss last year, which basically made, made rent-stabilization rent permanent, at least for now, and, until it's overturned turned in court or whatnot. So we really shied away from rent-stabilized properties, like I mentioned, until 2014. And we, we decided after that to go after smaller free market, fully free market, or mostly free market properties, and really aggregate them and, and buy them, you know, one by one, and then put them together as a package, and then then refinancing and refinance them and hold through. So that's been successful for us. And, and that's why we haven't really stopped buying these properties, despite of the rent laws of last year. They actually made our properties and, and just generally speaking, free market units more valuable throughout the city and, and, and probably pre-market rents will go up just by the sheer uh, supply and demand equation. So uh, to answer your question uh, more precisely, 
you know, the rent laws have provided opportunities, in my opinion, even though we haven't really bought rent stabilized property, but just because the pricing went down. And now if you're a specialist, if you really understand the difference between legal rent and preferential rent or or know what you can do to better a property or or, or maybe even work with the local community or whatnot to, to go under specific programs that, 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 that for certain properties would make sense with a, a tax abatement and maybe a, a, um, a regulatory agreement on the on the rents, which which cap them, but are no different now than the, than the current situation. Maybe for certain types of play that makes sense. Going forward, you know, I, I think the pricing again came down with COVID. So at, at some point, it, it, if you think the business is evolving in the sense that it just becomes a, a much more financial business, at some point, maybe this is people's new uh, pension funds, new bond allocation and to some degree. And and if you see it as a bond with a embedded call option, then then you can hold through long enough and have a, a good perspective on uh, on on the timing and and the possibilities of the law changing. Yes, this this will be an opportunity. We haven't really gone after rent stabilized buildings uh, recently again, like you said. But we'll continue buying multifamily properties in New York, do our, our brand of renovation that try to have be specific and and really improve you know people's quality of life and whatnot, and maybe bring it to. Other parts of Brooklyn where we're not, and maybe maybe Manhattan, maybe nationally at some point down the road. So uh, that'll multifamily for us will be the core of the business for the for, for for the upcoming years, most likely. And yeah, I think I think we're in agreement here. And I think you mentioned the smaller buildings that you're buying that have no rent regulation and no restrictions, and they also have an advantage when it comes to property taxes. So I, I think they're great properties yeah, in general. They're kept for a while; they can't go up. More than six percent per year, uh, in terms of yeah, exactly. so we, 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 it, it's a, it's a fairly good hedge. And you know, the main reason today for a lot of investors to invest in New York City or just in real estate in general is, is is the Fed and the government action. So if you can capture the upside of that and cap your expenses, this is really a business plan we thought was compelling. Yes, and we as a company are big believers in the multifamily sector long term. And yes, there is going to be pain in the short term in the form of vacancy for free market units, especially in prime locations. So maybe less so in certain areas in the boroughs or in Brooklyn. And there's going to be some pain for rent stabilized units in terms of collections, not in terms of vacancy. But long term, we believe these properties will come back, will come back strong. Remy, I wanted to thank you so much for spending some time with me here on this podcast. Uh, we learned a lot. We want to see you succeed, continue to succeed, and we want you to continue to believe in New York City with us and buy more buildings. So thank you very much. And thank you. Well, thanks, thanks to you and your team, and you guys are, are a terrific team. And I know, you're, I know your personal story, and it's very, very impressive. So I'm glad to be here, and thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.